0: You know how fast you were going?
1: What? How fast you I don't know. Ten? Eight.
0: Be advised this is an explicit podcast. If you're easily offended, get your panties twisted into a knot. Leave now. Running your safe space. Get you little cloth for your tears. All the opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and his guest and do not reflect the opinions of any local or government agency. Welcome to Motor Cop Chronicles podcast. I'm your host, the Iceman. I'm going to skip the uh, normal housekeeping because... We've got a real special guest today, and uh, I'm going to let her tell her story and introduce herself. If you want to go ahead. I don't know if she can hear me yet.
1: I can hear you. Oh, I'm you, here.
0: You want to go ahead and uh, introduce yourself, and then we'll let you tell your story.
1: Yeah. Uh, my name is Keelan Darby. I'm an active duty sergeant in a North Alabama police department, and I'm also the wife of former former Huntsville Police Department, William Ben Darby, who was wrongfully convicted of murder in May of 2021 from an on-duty shooting that happened in April of 2018.
0: And I am for the the body cam footage is available online if anybody wishes to go see it. Uh, I've watched it several times and. Well, let her tell her story, I'm going to tell my opinion. I don't see how the, how her husband got convicted whatsoever. To me personally, I watched it. Them other two officers there should thank him for to me saving their life. So
1: Yeah, they uh, I don't think they're smart enough to understand what happened and realize that one of the main reasons why they're alive today is because of what Ben did. But um, I'll I'll get into it. It uh, like I said, it happened in 2018. Um, he was on duty for Huntsville Police Department, working second shift. So um, he started at two, was supposed to get off at ten, and uh, he was working patrol, doing his thing. Um, he loved it. And there was a call that came over the radio of a uh, su- su- suicidal subject called dispatch and told the dispatcher that he um, had a gun and that the front door was open and to send the police. So as a police officer, you recognize that as a possible ambush immediately because he just told dispatch, I've got a gun, and send the cops. So um, at that time of the day, Huntsville is super busy, so the call waited. Uh, for a few minutes and then eventually, uh, two officers were available and dispatch gave it to those two officers, Piggies and Beckles and officer Beckles, um, over the radio requested for any other units that weren't tied up on anything to be available. And so Ben was on his way back to the precinct to do some paperwork and he thought, well, I can go to that. This paperwork can wait. So he makes his way to the address He ends up third on scene and, um, based on our training, which is, this is a nationwide standard. You don't go into an unknown with a person with a gun. Um, if you know that they're by themselves and because you have the advantage on the outside to set up a perimeter and try to call them out than to go into their unknown structure. And so Ben, um, that was his mindset going to this call, and that is what he had done on prior calls similar to this, uh, dealing with people who were suicidal. And so he got to the scene. Um, he you know, did the whole tactical park and you know, parked a couple houses away, and he grabbed his shotgun thinking that a perimeter would have already been set up, and if deadly force needed to be used, a shotgun uh, round would be better than his sidearm. And so he grabbed a shotgun, uh, made his way up to the house and to his surprise, there was no perimeter set and the two officers weren't outside. And as he got closer to the house, he could see officer Peguese, the female inside the house with her gun, um, down by her leg, talking to Mr. Parker who had a gun to his head. And then he saw, um, officer Beckles outside on the front porch, hanging out in the phenol funnel and ben uh saw that officer beckle or officer piggies wasn't protecting herself she had no cover no concealment it was just her in an open room with a man with a gun about 20 feet away from her and he yelled at her point your gun at him he can shoot you and then he started yelling at parker drop the gun drop the gun and you can see on the body camera footage piggies um is not able to clearly communicate with Parker. She's stumbling. She's mumbling. She's not effectively telling Parker what needs to happen in him to drop the weapon. And Ben recognizes this, um, as well as officer Beckles, Piggy's actually takes a step deeper into the house, um, and basically inviting them into the house. So Ben and Beckles both enter the house, Ben throws his shotgun on him. Um, And tells him, drop the gun. And you can see on Piggy's body camera, she brings her gun up and points it at Parker. And then you can see her whole body shift. Her her gun comes off target and she looks at Ben and says, he's not going to do it. And then she puts her gun back down. Um, This whole time, Parker has a gun to his head. Uh, Ben told him again, uh, put the gun down. I'm not going to tell you again. And at that point, Parker had... Um, verbalized, no, I'm not going to drop it. And he also had shrugged his shoulders at that point. And when he shrugged his shoulders, the gun started to move forward. And Ben took that as a threat to their lives, um, his life. And he stopped the threat that was posed in front of them, uh, striking Parker in the face one time. And, um, he died from that, from that, uh, gunshot. Um, It goes out over the radio, shots fired, the cavalry shows up. Um, He gets put into a car to go to the hospital to get uh, drug tested and to make sure he wasn't intoxicated, which was protocol for his department. And at the time, I um, I was on shift as well for my department, and he called me, and he said, hey, if you hear anything, just know that I'm okay. And I was like, okay, and I laughed, and I thought, well, did you wreck your car? Like, cause he told me he's going to hospital and I, he said, no, I didn't wreck. He said, just know that I'm okay. I got to go. So we got off the phone and so my mind starts to race and then it hit me. The only other reason you'd be going to hospital was if you were in a shooting Yeah. because I knew he was physically okay. And, um, so I was on the way to a, an alarm call. I think at the time I answered it, and then I called my supervisor and I said, I have to go. Um, I I can't be at work right now family emergency and I left and so I waited for him to come home that night um which took several hours because he had to go do the hospital thing and then give um an initial statement for investigative purposes and then he came home and he said I'm on leave for the next three days or whenever they tell me I'm allowed to come back to work so um I asked him, I was like, are you okay? Do you want to talk about it? And he said, no, I'm fine, but I don't want to talk about it. And we went to bed, um, woke up later on that week. He had to go through all the protocol of, he got uh, investigated by IA and he had to go talk to the psyche Val people. And um, I think he was off of work for two weeks on admin leave. And during that time, they had an investigative review board, a shooting review board, to investigate the shooting to see if it was within policy or not. Um, and if it, you know, passed state law, there was no violations of, you know, it was a good shoot. Yeah. And the panel, it was an all-day thing. Um, the panel interviewed Ben Beckles and um, the investigator, anyone who was really involved with the scene that day. And they came back and said Ben was justified in his use of force and that he did not need to be retrained or anything like that. Uh, they came back that Officer Pagise and Officer Beckles did not act properly and failed to recognize the threat in front of them. And they were forced to go through remedial training on threat assessment. Yep. So those two officers went back to the academy. And had to go through however many hours of threat assessment retraining. Ben did not. Ben did not get um, in trouble or disciplined. They did. Um, he was cleared, 100% good. Shoot, go back to the street, and he went back to work in patrol. So that was all. The end of April, 2018. Um, around the end of May. Ben got notified to go see the chief, and the chief pulled him in and said, hey, uh, the DA is looking at charging you with murder. I'm pulling you off the street. So um, he was placed at the academy, and he just helped out with new recruits and did paperwork over there until uh, we heard something. It took several months. Um, And I asked him, I was like, how are they going to – what are they looking at charging you with? You know, we're trained to neutralize a threat in front of us. You stop the threat that was posed in front of you and Beckles and Pegues. I don't know if anyone's going to get in trouble, it's going to be them. And he said, I don't know. He said, we just have to wait. So um, the DA, his name is Robert Broussard. He uh, held a grand jury, took it to grand jury and got a grand jury indictment. Which everyone knows is pretty easy to do. It's not hard.
0: Well, yeah, you could indict a, a ham sandwich, little, a little Debbie cake, if you want. If the-
1: yeah, yeah, exactly. So they, um, that was August third of twenty eighteen. He was. Um, they had warrants on him for murder, so he went and turned himself in. Uh, he got booked into the Madison County Jail for murder, um, and we had a bond him out twenty thousand dollar bond. Um, he was immediately put on admin leave. The department had a press conference, which was with, the uh, chief, the deputy chiefs and the mayor. And all of them said he did his job. According to his training, he did what he had to do. He's not a murderer. Uh, chief McMurray said that he is not a murderer to the, to the media, um, mayor battle, Stuck behind him. He did his job. He was, did what he was supposed to do as according to his training. He saved lives that day. Full support from the city and the department. So he gets placed on admin duty and basically rides the desk. Um, 2019, we get, he goes for qualified immunity and uh, the judge denied it. For And she didn't give a reason why. She just said no. So then we have twenty twenty and Covid. So everything stops. There's no trials. There's not the courts just go silent. Um, this whole time, he's still supported by Huntsville Police Department and is um, working every day, getting a paycheck. Um, the city is paying for his legal fees. And we get notified beginning of, let me back up. Prior to him getting charged, the district attorney and the chief had several meetings, and the district attorney said, "If you fire him, we won't charge him with murder."
0: That's just what. What district attorney seem like? He has some agenda or something.
1: I think I have. I've got nothing to prove. This. This is just my conjecture. But I think that with the um, worldview of police during those years. Ben was an easy target because he was only on the job for 18 months at that time. So he's still a rookie. No one knows who he is. If he wants to appease the mob, we can hang this guy out to dry. And that's exactly what Broussard did. Um, The chief said, no, I'm not going to fire him. He didn't do anything wrong. He followed his training, you know, went down that whole thing. They went back and forth several times and Um, Broussard charged him with murder so we go through the immunity hearing we go through the silent closure because of the courts closing down with COVID Um, January of 2021 we get a phone call or Ben gets a phone call from his lawyer and says hey they want to offer you a deal take a manslaughter conviction which is still a felony and you you'll not be a police officer anymore Uh, take this manslaughter conviction, no prison time, five years probation, and it's over with. And Ben was like, no, I didn't commit manslaughter and I didn't commit murder. Like I did what I was, I did what I was trained to do. I'm not taking a deal. So, um, May, we get notified that we have a trial May 3rd, 2021, um which were slowly coming out of covid by that time and the at like the the friday before the monday a trial the judges and the prosecution and our lawyer and ben had a meeting and the prosecution says we want to make sure that they don't pack out the courtroom with police because that's going to um that could affect the juries discretion or whatever they could be feel pressured or we don't want that to interfere with the jury's decision so you know police shouldn't be allowed in the courtroom and then you've got covid so we really shouldn't have anyone in the courtroom and the judge said yeah we will not we'll just shut the courtroom down so i as his wife wasn't allowed to be in trial with him i had to watch it through a zoom feed in a separate room um no one was allowed in there. It was Ben and his defense team, and then it was the prosecution, the jury, and the judge. And that was it. Um, during uh, jury selection, they the the uh, prosecutor got up there and he asked the pool of potential jurors, he said, how many of you think there's a war on cops today? And Ben said, everyone raised their hand. And then he followed up that question with, how many of you think that some cops are bad apples, like Derek Chauvin and Ben Darby?
0: Wow, he threw that out there.
1: Yeah. And Ben said there there was a lady in the crowd that kind of looked at, he looked, she looked at Ben and she looked at the prosecutor and then she pointed at Ben like, you're making him out to be someone he's not. And Ben said it just got really quiet in the, in the courtroom. And the judge allowed all that to go through during during selection. Um, they go to trial. Again, it's on a Zoom feed, so he's not afforded his um, constitutional right to a public uh, trial. And we're watching the, this feed, and all of a sudden, um, the screen goes dark when certain witnesses get up on the stand. One of the witnesses was a neighbor of Parker and Parker had had several conversations with this neighbor about how Parker hated police, how he had a plan to lure a police officer into his home and to kill him. Um, And this, this neighbor came forward when he found out that Ben was being charged with murder and told our attorneys, Hey, this, you guys need to know this. He's not, he, this guy hated police. He had a plan to do this and so on. And so, um, the neighbor, just trying to testify about this and the prosecution of Jackson says, no, that's hearsay. He can't say that. Well, it's not hearsay if it's a direct conversation, the conversation, the conversation you and I are having right now. If one of us were to talk about it, that's not hearsay. But if someone listening to this wanted to say or talk about what we're talking about right now, that would be hearsay. And the judge said, yeah, you're not allowed to testify about that. And so we objected, our lawyers objected to that and said, no, it's, it's relevant. It needs to be on the record. And so the judge kicked the jury out of the courtroom. Our screen went dark um, while he was trying to testify. Our screen went dark, so we didn't know what was going on. But after talking with Ben, he, he said that she kicked the jury out of the courtroom. And this individual spoke to the court reporter for the court record. So he was allowed to talk to the court reporter for it in case it went to an appeal, but he wasn't allowed to give his testimony to the 12 people who are going to make the decision as to whether or not Ben was guilty of murder.
0: Wow. It just seems like that judge is kind of biased.
1: So it Mm -hmm. was her first criminal trial. Um, She never had had a legal uh, criminal uh, trial before she dealt with like school school law um, she did a lot of stuff with the schools and laws pertaining to that. She never did anything with the criminal side of it until Ben's case. So um, evidence wasn't allowed in um, case law wasn't allowed in Graham versus Connor um, which specifically states that a police officer doesn't have to wait for a the be of a weapon to be pointed at them. To use force if you go by the totality of the circumstances um, and everything that's going on with that scene you can't wait because if you wait for something to be pointed at you or uh, move towards you action is faster than reaction and you're going to get hit first Um, ben's training wasn't allowed to be um, submitted part of his training about action versus reaction wasn't allowed um, we both had gone to a FBI survival school three-day class for Officer safety. Um, That instructor came. He was uh, monitored and told what he could testify to and what he couldn't. Um, Ben's training instructor from the police academy came and was told he couldn't testify. And what's important about um, Officer Moore, the training instructor, is he was in a shooting. And he failed to act quick enough and ended up getting shot in the face. Mm. Um, In his incident, the guy had two long guns pointed at the ground. Um, Jason Moore was a a SWAT operator, so he had more training than the regular patrol officer. All he was waiting was for shoulder movement, and the uh, suspect was able to flick his wrist up and get a shot off, and it was before Jason could recognize it. And Jason got shot in the face with birdshot. He survived that, thankfully, but he went on to go to the academy to teach new cops. This is why you can't wait for a gun to be pointed at you. If they're not following commands, if they're not doing what you need them to do, and your life is on the line, you have to act. You can't wait and react to that action. That action versus reaction wasn't allowed to be introduced and explained to the jury. Um... So everything that would have better helped Ben and the jury understand why he did what he did wasn't allowed in. Um, The prosecution got up and said that there's no difference in a random person busting into your house and shooting you in the head than what Ben did. Well, quite frankly, there is because Ben's a trained police officer.
0: And And, And this guy had called to get the cops over there.
1: Yeah. He had called, he had called dispatch and said, um, I've got a gun. I'm fixing to blow my brains out. The front door is open and dispatch. You can listen to the nine one one call dispatch tries to keep him to stay on the line for, to start talking to him, to try and help him. And he said, no, thanks. Bye. And hangs up dispatch calls him back several times. He won't answer the phone. So he didn't want help. That was his initial call to get the cops to come over
0: and then I'm going to do what I want to do, and me and personally. Me. If If somebody wants, you've probably worked suicides. I've worked plenty of suicides mm-hmm. in almost 30 years. If somebody wants to kill themselves, most of the time they just kill themselves, they don't call to get the cops over there either. My first thing is, okay, they're either setting up an ambush or he's trying to do suicide by cop one or two. Because most people, if he's, just, if he's got a gun in his head and wants to shoot himself, he'd have just shot himself, and then somebody would have found a body later.
1: Right. Parker was given seven seven commands to drop the gun. So he had seven chances to put the gun down. If he wanted to kill himself, he would have done it before he got there. But he was he was too chicken to do it, and he needed a police officer to do it. Um, that's my opinion. That might be harsh, but that's that's how I see it. Uh,
0: I just think it sounds like he either wanted to take some cops with him yeah, get the cops to yeah. shoot him. Like they said, he was too coward to just to shoot himself.
1: And his so the gun he had was it ended up being a flare gun, painted black, which you can't tell that in the quickness of a moment if it's a flare gun or not. You know, if if, if it's painted completely black, it looks just like a revolver. And um, it was loaded with compromised buckshot. So if he were able to get a shot off, all three of them would possibly have been hit. So instead of having three line-of-duty deaths, Then stopped the threat against them, and everyone went home that night. Um. So we go through the trial. A lot of stuff doesn't get put in like we wanted it to, but we still felt confident um, that it would be either a mistrial resulting with a hung jury or he would be acquitted. Um, I had no no thought in my mind going into the um, verdict hearing that I was going to hear guilty. None at all. Um, I got a phone call from Ben. He said, hey, head, go to the courthouse. They're, they're, we're about to he- hear the verdict. And we get into the room, and the judge is thanking the jury And, um, she says the jury finds you guilty of murder and I collapsed. Um, I had, I wasn't, I had no idea, um, obviously that that was going to happen and I didn't expect it at all. Um, the, the few people that were in the room gave me the room and, uh, I was later approached by a deputy and he said, Mrs. Darby, I need you to come with me. And so he took me down into a basement and I was able to see Ben, um, give him a hug. And Ben told me, he's like, it's going to be okay. We're, you know, we'll we'll figure this out. This isn't over. And he went to the county um, on a $100,000 bond. And I just started praying, you know, God, I don't know what's about to happen, why we're going through this. Um, This is wrong. And you're going to have to make a way for us to get through this. Um, a few hours later, I was notified that Ben was able to come home because someone posted his bond. Don't know who it is to this day. Mm. Um, but someone posted his bond, went, uh, picked him up and we went home. Um, the judge didn't have sentencing until August. August. So that gave us a couple months to get some stuff in order because um, murder in Alabama is a 20 year minimum or it's a 10 year minimum. If you have a weapon involved, it's, it's uh, up to its 20 year minimum. So um, in this, t- at this time, Huntsville still backed him. There was a press conference afterwards and, um, The chief and the mayor all said, you know, we don't agree with the jury's decision, and we look forward to the appeal process. Um, August comes, and we go to sentencing. Uh, We had 72 character witness letters from different people from all walks and lines of life that Ben had known, from grade school, college, um, high school jobs, teachers, professors, family church people, um, you name it. A bunch of different people had wrote letters on Ben's behalf, asking for the judge for leniency, um, on his sentencing. Those were, um, submitted to the judge for her to read over and consider before our sentencing hearing, we go to sentencing hearing and, uh, myself, his father, um, his his lieutenant from Huntsville, a childhood friend, and then our pastor all spoke on his behalf, asking the judge for leniency. And when I got up there, I got sworn in. She swore me in. And the whole time she was talking to me during the swearing process, as soon as I started talking, she stopped paying attention. And I had noticed that with all the other people who had testified on his behalf as soon as they started talking and pleading with her to not be, not give him a harsh sentence. Um, she stopped paying attention. She started scribbling. She'd just look at the ceiling, not make eye contact. And I knew this wasn't, this wasn't going to end up, end up good. Um, Ben testified or asked the judge for leniency on his behalf. And, um, The prosecutor gets up there and says, judge, we're good with uh, 25 years, which is over the minimum. Yeah, We're good with 25 years, but we're on board for more if you are. It's a direct quote. So let's remember in 2018, fire him and we won't charge him. In 2021, take this deal, no prison time, five years probation. And then we go to sentencing, we want at least 25 years. Well, what changed? Tell me that's not personal. If he truly is a murderer, why would you be okay with letting him go if he got fired? Or taking this deal and not having to go to prison? Um, During all that time, we had the National FOP back us um, and say, you know, he needs a retrial. This was wrong. And we had a lot of support. Um, the judge gives her ruling: twenty-five years.
0: She already had her mind made up before it got. Yeah,
1: it spread. was a waste. Sentencing was a waste of time. Absolute waste of time. Um, because I was a witness, or I testified during his behalf, I was allowed into the sentencing room with him that day. So we sat together. She, you know, gave her ruling: twenty-five years. Um, and the bailiff came over, uh Ben gave me his wedding band um and said goodbye. He said, This isn't over with. I'll see you soon. And um I had to wait until April of this year to see him. Um, he was put into the county jail for a month in um segregation, so he was in a cell by himself for 23 hours a day with a one-hour break. So during that break, he would call me and take a shower and just try to, you know, stay sane. Uh, He was then moved to the state. It's like a processing facility before you get your final uh, institution that you go to to serve your time. And um, he was there for a month in solitary. When he was there, um, I would go days without hearing from him. I never knew that he got moved until two and a half days after the fact. Um, and he would get a break out of his cell for 15 minutes every three to four days. And the, the guard said, you can either make a phone call or take a shower Wow. every three to four days. So, um,
0: Which I think is, I uh, worked at DOC for a while, and people we had in lockdown, we had to let them out. At least one hour a day, every day, each person.
1: Yeah, he, he didn't get that. He got out every three to four days for 15 minutes. I think that's some kind and of- he was in complete isolation because of his status as a law enforcement officer. Um, so our lawyers had filed you know, a motion for retrial. Um, they filed all the appropriate paperwork. The judge denied it. At that point, then she released the body cam footage, um, because during from he, the time he was charged until after the trial, it wasn't made public. Um, and then I started, you know, looking for help because I wasn't going to be able to do this on my own. Um, contacted, reached out to several organizations. Um, the one, the first organization that. Um, helped us actually reached out to Ben back in 2018 after the shooting. It's the blue justice project out of Pennsylvania. And, um, the founder of that is Lisa Merkel. She was a Pennsylvania police officer who was involved in a shooting. She got charged and was acquitted and she went through the nightmare that we're going through. Um, she was never put in prison, Um, But she had to go through the process, and now she works hard to help officers who get wrongfully charged. And um, she called me and said, hey, I'm sending you a check, and I'm coming to your house in a month, so we're going to start getting things rolling. Um, Came in as immediate help to me, trying to figure out what to do next, Um, and we got the ball rolling with the appeal and fundraising because thankfully the city of Huntsville paid for everything for his initial trial. But this appeal was all on, all on me. And I can't do that on an officer's salary. Um, so uh, she started helping with that. Um, we got an account set up through fund the first and their platform and donations started coming in. I started getting on podcasts. Um, I was on with, uh, 108 memes had me on at the very beginning, was able to tell our story. Um, Andy Stumpf had me on. Um, I went on, I've been on with Mike Glover. Big name guys in that arena who see this for what it is. Um, and the cool story with Mike Glover is we actually met him in 2018 after Ben's shooting, um, on a f- family trip home i'm from arizona originally and mike had his business out there and we went out and he was at the shop and we were able to talk to him and mike said you know when this we start talking about what we did and how we were both police officers and he's like man that's crazy and eventually it rolled into talking about ben's case and he said man you're going to get cleared this is all going to work out when you get done call me and i want to have you on my podcast And, um, I remembered that at sentencing when I was at home trying to figure out that night. Now, what am I going to do? How am I going to move forward? And I reached out to Mike and, um, within a few hours, he got back to me and started, um, helping with ideas and rolling. And eventually I went out there and spoke on his show. Um, we reached out to the Pipe Hitter Foundation which is with um, Eddie and Andrew Gallagher, who he was um, a Navy SEAL and was charged with uh, murder for killing a, an ISIS, a member of ISIS um, that happened back in 2018, 2019. And was, he spent t- some time in pretrial confinement, um, eventually went to trial and was acquitted and cleared. Um, but he, he understands and he knows what Ben and I are going through because he lived it. He was locked up. You know, his wife, Andrea did everything that I'm doing right now, trying to fight for her husband's freedom for something that they accused him of doing that he didn't do. And, um, the Piper Foundation and the Gallagher's have been a huge help and blessing To our family, Um, they've set up a donation portal for people to make donations um, to help with our legal fees. Because quite frankly, it's um, it's at PipeHitterFoundation.org.
0: You now have other places to people want to donate to help with the legal expenses of this appeal, right?
1: Yeah. So we have a website set up. It's StandWithDarby.com. And there's links to the Pipe Hitters, uh portal as well as fund the first. Um both of those platforms are on our homepage. and then there's a page separate for that as well that people can go to and if they want to help with donating towards the legal fund. Um because we're we're six figures into his legal fees right now. Oh we could um
0: I had an uh former law enforcement officer on uh, about a year ago uh, named Jason Cheney. I don't know if you've mm-hmm. heard of him. He was a former police chief. He ended up getting charged in the state that he was in. in uh, he got acquitted. His was with, supposedly with evidence tampering, stuff like that. But
1: mm-hmm.
0: he said, it. you know, his trial cost him $200,000 of his own money.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We're closing in on that number now with lawyer fees, just different legal fees. Um, We just, so we're in the appeal process right now um, and we were granted oral arguments with the Court of Criminal Appeals. So the Court of Criminal Appeals is comprised of five members, uh, five judges who look at every case that gets appealed in the state of Alabama. And to get oral arguments is like a 2% chance out of all the cases that get appealed and we got them.
0: So that's are,
1: <laughs> that's a very, it's a very big thing. Very positive step for us. Um, those happened on November 10th in Birmingham. It was open to the public. Um, we had a very good crowd of supporters um, there for us uh, to show their support for Ben. And um, the two, two of the main issues that the judges wanted to hear out of our 33 reasons for a new trial the two biggest ones that they what they wanted to hear more about was the constitutional um, violation of his rights to a public trial, and then why he was not viewed as a reasonable officer um, according to the Graham standard. And so um, our lawyers went ahead. And how oral arguments work: you get an hour, thirty minutes per side, to discuss discuss your side of it. And so we spoke for 30 minutes, the state spoke for 30 minutes, and now it's in the judge's hands. And there's no timeline, there's no deadline for them to make a decision. It's whenever they get around to it. So I could get a phone call in 30 minutes from them with an answer, or I could get a phone call next November 15th. There's no, there's no pressure on them to make a decision. And unfortunately with Ben's, Sentencing, he has to sit day for day until the appeal comes back, which it will, because case law backs him. Graham versus Connor, Montu versus Carr, Grzesinski versus Bradshaw, Penley versus Essinger. I could keep going. The case now, law backs what he did.
0: Is the same DA still in our office right now, or is it a different one?
1: Unfortunately, yes. Um, he went up for re-election, and no one. Uh, no one ran against him. he ran unopposed, but i do I don't live in Madison county, um which is where he's the d a at but several friends of ours do and I had several people um send me a picture of their ballot from this past month, and they had written in ben's name yeah. as d a which i thought that was funny yeah um you know, but um no, he still is the d a and
0: is he is he i wanna understand this. Mm-hmm. I'm right here in Louisiana, so I'm not I'm not far not out far. of your region. Yeah, uh, Alabama has never struck me as like one of these woke places like this. Yeah, like I know where I'm from and how juries and stuff. how long was the jury out?
1: Um, a couple hours Thursday afternoon, and then they had a decision by lunch Friday. So I think it was like six or eight hours. Okay. Maybe. Um, it had to get reconvened because on the second day, one of the jurors had a panic attack and had to go to the hospital. And so they had to start deliberations over with one of the alternates.
0: Now, was uh, y'all's attorney, they polled the jury afterwards? Yes. If y'all don't, if, if listeners don't know what polling the jury is... When after the verdict stuff, the lawyers can go in and ask the jurors questions about what this and that and what made them come to the a decision and stuff like that. And yeah,
1: they, I'm sorry, go ahead.
0: No, no, go ahead. Uh,
1: the Our our lawyers did pull the jury afterwards and, you know, we're trying to figure out, just like you said, ask questions. And several of the jurors said that they felt they were forced to make that decision, that there was no other decision that they could make. Like they were pressured. Um, that they were pressured into making it. Yeah. Because even during deliberations, um I guess our lawyers somehow found out that they asked, you know, is there not another charge? And they were reminded, No, it's either murder or it's not.
0: So they didn't have the um, option to say, Okay, we don't we don't find them guilty of murder, we found them guilty of, of manslaughter or negligence yeah, or they, something like that. Right
1: they did not have that option. It was either he's guilty of murder or he's not. And Ben said, you know, again, the trial was closed to the public. So I wasn't allowed in there with him, but he said that when he got, when he walked back into the courtroom, the jury was already in place. And, um, he looked at the jury and all the females were crying. And there was two men who were like raking their face with their hands and he knew. He knew before the judge verbalized it that they had found him guilty.
0: What I'm standing which they he ever talk to the one that had the panic attack? Why after the whole entire trial and all of a sudden now during deliberation, this person has a panic attack and has to be removed off.
1: Yeah, I don't I don't know who all they talked to. I know they they spoke with some of them. Um I have my own thoughts on that. I think that she was One that said, no, he's not guilty of murder. And I mean, everyone hates jury duty. No one likes to do that, which is a disservice. Um,
0: I would love to be on a jury, but I'll never get picked.
1: Same, same. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know what caused the panic attack. I don't know any of that information, but I have my own thoughts.
0: It's just just strange for me. I'll tell everybody out there how I feel about some certain things. And you see it on TV. Trust me, you have different personalities in the jury. And if you have one super strong personality in there that feels one way, if they push hard enough, they can sway other people into voting another way because you'll have some weak-minded people that are just followers. Mm -hmm. So that could have happened also.
1: Yeah. And, um, you know, every time we would come back for a break or every day there's a new – Of of the trial, the judge would very nonchalantly ask, uh, did anyone speak about this during the break of the trial? No? Okay, let's move on. Like, So even if they did, they wouldn't have an opportunity to be truthful and say, yes, I did speak to my spouse, or yes, I did do this, or, uh, you know, whatever. There was no opportunity.
0: And I've worked several juries. I've worked several juries because I, I bailiffed some of my career also, and I've worked criminal juries and uh, civil juries also. And let me let me tell you what, just as a bailiff, uh, there's certain things you can and cannot do, and you got to watch every little thing you say. You we, try not even talk to the jurors at all, but you have to take your interactor with them because you have to get food orders and all this stuff like that. It's a tricky situation just for the bailiffs and all that stuff to do it also so i mean who knows if they overheard somebody else talking about something right through a door or something like that. i mean it, it's a it's a very delicate situation people don't realize this it. is not like tv
1: yeah and that's that's another thing you know people i get asked two or three times a week have you heard anything yet have they made a decision what's going on what's the newest development and it's like guys this is not you know, Law & Order SVU, yeah. where they, you know, figure out the the episode in 40 minutes. This is going to take a while. You know, we are coming up on five years this April of the incident. You know, granted, he's been in prison for 16 months, um, but this has been going on for five years. You know, it's not... It, whoever came up with the the court system being quick yeah. lied because it's not it's not a speedy process you know and i understand there's a, there's a million cases and and all of that but when it's your case you want an answer now you know quickly and unfortunately that's just not how it happens um but we we're very hopeful in our appeal oral arguments went very much in our way um and that's that's not just me being his wife saying that um I had lawyers that weren't even a part of our case showed up and contacted me later and said, your guys did great, and the state did horrible, um, very just, unorganized.
0: I'm just still in awe that the, the the police department found him, you know, he did what he was Within supposed policy. to do. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm assuming the state the state police or state came and investigated. That's what they do here also.
1: Um, they did not. Um, now they. So now Huntsville's policy is that the state has all takes over all shooting investigations, and I'll talk about this. Um, in 2018, and 2019, 2020, there were several officer-involved shootings in Huntsville. Um, all of them were justified in the in the in the mind of our training and what we go through, but also in. And um, according to the DA, except for Ben's, they are all justified. About a year after Ben's, officers were called out to a um, woman with a gun. She suffered from PTSD um, with an apartment complex. And um, calls came in that she was threatening to shoot her gun. She was out on her porch, waving it around, having a mental breakdown. Officers get there, knock on the door, and then retreat to cover knowing that she has a weapon. She opens the door, they give her commands, keep your hands up and come outside. She comes outside, and you can look at the body camera footage. Um, the case is uh, Crystal Ragland from Huntsville Police Department. That's the, the suspect's name. Um, and you can plainly see a gun appendix carried in her waistband. The officers recognize that, keep your hands up, keep your hands up and don't reach for the gun. She reaches for the gun, doesn't make contact with the gun. Her hand is just going towards it and she gets shot. Justified shooting. You're going for a weapon.
0: Yeah, so that's a clean shoot. She was.
1: Clean shoot. 115,000%. Yeah. It's a clean shoot all day. DA says, yeah, it's a clean shoot. What I find interesting is.
0: This is the same county.
1: It's the same county, same <laughs> district attorney. Wow. Yeah, that's good. But a guy who actively has a weapon in his hand, who starts to move it towards you, and you shoot him—that's that is not justified at all, and you need to go to prison for twenty five years. But a woman who is reaching for a gun and never has contact with the gun—now that's a good shoot.
0: Now the two other officers that were there Mm -hmm. with—are they still active duty?
1: Um, not no. So Officer Beckles, the male. He he quit within a year, um, and I think he works private security. But he's no longer active duty law enforcement. The female quit the Friday before the trial.
0: I was gonna um, say, well, that's good news because, like I said, I've watched the the, the body cam when, when it was released several times, and I was mm-hmm. thinking neither one of these should be law enforcement officers. If if I don't care how much training you get you either a cop or you're not a cop.
1: Right. Else, and they're not.
0: And I'm going to tell you, I don't know if anybody's mentioned it to you before. I'm going to tell you, I watched it several times. And I'm going to tell you what, what pissed me off entirely when I watched it. And I said it every single time. Mm-hmm. After the shooting occurred, not one person over there went and asked your husband, asked William, no. if he was okay. No. How are you? How are you? You just... Shot somebody that takes a toll. I don't care who you are, it takes a toll on you mentally, and I watched him walk around doing his job on the scene, and not one of them went and checked on him, hey look sit down, nothing. It was like they could care give two shits less on right. how he was doing, and yeah, that upset me to no end
1: <clears throat> yeah
0: that they it's like they, they it's like they didn't they didn't care,
1: no. Um, the, uh, Huntsville has supported him um, during the trial, during the initial trial. Um, now that we're in the appeal, I, f- I hear from very few people from HPD, and I know a lot of them. Um, I don't know if they're scared of because the DA is still the DA over there. Um, I don't know if they just don't know what to say. Um but you you know who your your true friends are, you know who your true people who actually support you are.
0: Or you you find um, out quick. I did episode nine. You long find out ago. very quick. I did episode not long ago. <clears throat> I don't think it was very popular. I called it the the, the uh, paper thin line, referring yeah. to the thin blue line because it's right it's that thin and uh it talks about, you know, the blue line is not what everybody thinks it is.
1: Yeah.
0: You know? Yeah. That's unfortunate. No, like, I was talking about, I wasn't talking about the PD mm-hmm. a while ago, bad on the PD, because, hey, they support, we're supporting them, which is right. strange now. I was talking about the officers that were on the scene there.
1: Yes. That Oh, yeah.
0: That's what I was, I was like, y'all two, especially the two that were there initially, that were handling it completely wrong, because when I first saw it, I'm like because I've been a I'm still active I got three years left I just hit my 27 year anniversary day on the 15th of this month oh okay and uh I'm like what are, what the hell are y'all doing you know
1: yeah and I don't know if it's on the you know YouTube doesn't show the whole thing they show it in the worst light possible for Ben um
0: I forget where I saw it but I I, I think I looked like I saw it from the beginning to the end that's you know edits the one I okay. saw
1: um, part of the video, if you look at Piggy's the female Ben shoots Parker, he goes down immediately. And then you hear a woman come out. Oh my God, what are you doing? Why are you in my house? And Piggy goes full on with her gun in this lady's face. Come to me, keep your hands up. Like she's a threat and you can see her. She's in like a nightgown, open-handed. Obviously doesn't have a weapon on her. Well, She's a threat. Play. She's a threat. But a guy standing with you 20 feet away with a gun in his hand. No, he's fine. Let's go play. Let's go play cards. Which like, don't
0: take but a second, just, just a millisecond for him right. to I move. Right. And
1: people don't realize that, you know, um, on, the, on the shows that I've had video with, I've done, I've reenacted it. You tell me when I'm going to shoot you. Tell me when. Oh, yeah. I'm going to shoot you, tell me when, and I beat them every time. Why? Because action is faster than reaction. And you could do that drill with anyone. It doesn't have to be me because I'm Ben's wife and I'm going through, you know, trying to free my husband from a wrongful conviction and I'm passionate about his situation, but you could do that with with anyone. You know, it's like playing the slap, kids play that slap hand game on the, on the playground where you're... You know, pancake with someone's hand, and you try and flip over and tap their hand before they can pull it away. Yeah, the person that's hitting your hand is going to get you nine out of ten times because they're faster than you are. And it's the same concept.
0: We talk about I've talked about a 20, the twenty-one foot reactionary gap with a not with a edged weapon, right? I mean, somebody can travel twenty-one feet and go measure that out if anybody wants to. Twenty-one feet, and if you're holstered. That person can travel that distance and stab you. you can, you're can. you still going to shoot them, but you're going to get stabbed before you can shoot them. In, in 21 yeah. feet. It takes your mind that long to react to what's going on to do it. So, I mean, if he's already got the bag, he's already got the gun out. And that female there, like I said, she had their gun down by the side and everything. I just, I like I said, I washed it and washed it. And actually, the first mm-hmm. time I heard your story was on with the ten eight memes. Yeah. And because uh, 'cause I've me and him have collaborated before and I was like right. I I really want to get her on my side too, in case I got different listeners because I actually called him after I heard your episode and told him why. Wow. Yeah. I said, Wow, dude. He's like, Really? I'm like, yeah. Because uh it pisses me off because situations like this and uh how many now because of what happened William, how many other officers are going to hesitate now that split second that's going to Mm -hmm. cost them their life or somebody else's life because they're scared to pull the trigger now because they say, now they're going to want to put me in jail.
1: Right. You know, I don't want to go through that. So I'll just, I'll just wait, you know, and it's unfortunately, it's going to cost them their life or someone else's. And, you know, um, like I said, we're very, we're in the appeal process. This could, you know, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. Um, we're very thankful for the support that we've had from Blue Justice and the Pipe Foundation and different police departments, um, tactical units, um, senators, judges have all reached out to me and said, Hey, this is messed up. They're going after your husband for no reason. He did what he was supposed to do. We support you, you know, and um, the FOP, the national FOP is involved. Um, with helping us. They wrote an amicus brief um, supporting Ben during the appeal. Um, our uh, Alabama State FOP President Everett Johnson just wrote an op-ed piece that's getting released um, even within the next week or so, maybe even today, um, on Ben and the the, the whole situation. Um, he was present during um, Our or arguments. Um, Bernie Carrick from the former NYPD commissioner, um, he was the commissioner during 9/11. He supports Ben. He's out there, you know, um, doing interviews and talking to people and trying to raise support. Um, I'm sure I'm miss. I, I'm sure I'm missing someone, and I I don't. I'm. I apologize. It just there's just so many people that back him. You know, if the F, if he did, if what he did was wrong. Why would the FOP, which is a worldwide, you know, they, they everyone knows they are police. Why would they be yeah. backing Ben if he was wrong?
0: Let me tell you what. If you I if, 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 people who do know me, like I said, you don't know me. We've never met. The first time we've ever spoke. But the right. people, my listeners, and people that do know me, y'all know I call out bad cops when I believe there's a bad cop. And if I thought this man. William had done anything wrong, I wouldn't have had her on or, or nothing like that. I mean th- this was this was just a witch hunt for some reason on him with with this mm-hmm. district attorney. And uh, I'm just so surprised, like I said, the jury and everything. And so it was just you, you get, Do you get you get to see him now, visitation and
1: I do. I get to see him once a month, um for about an hour and forty five minutes. It's supposed to be two hours, but I have to go in and get searched and play the game before I can get inside <laughs> and see him. And um, I don't know if they know that I'm a cop. Um, I don't let them know that. You know, I don't yeah. offer that. Um, I'm he- sure they do. There's people on the inside that work there that know he don't belong there. Um, he's in protective custody, so he's somewhat safe. Uh, but there are people in PC with him that don't belong in PC. They're not that they're not of that status. Yeah. Um, he's been, people have fought him in there. People have tried to shank him. Um, you know, he's not safe. So he's not,
0: he's not in like a a lockdown cell by himself. Like he was before. It's kind of like a protective custody unit.
1: Correct. Yeah. 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 I mean, he, he can walk around. He has a roommate, um, or a cellmate, however you want to look at that. um, he's supposed to go outside every day, that doesn't happen. Uh back in se- end of September, beginning of October, they were on a lockdown for 2 weeks because of rioting. Um I wasn't allowed to go and see him until the end of October because of that. Um he's not safe, you know, he, drugs and alcohol are rampant in there. Um they just they just arrested, I think the count is up to 5 or 6 guards in the past 2 weeks for promoting prison contraband and bribery. Jesus, Um, you know, he's not in a good spot. So every in, you know, every day that he's in there is a threat against his life. And he what's what's so messed up is he should never have been charged in the first place.
0: No, he shouldn't have.
1: You know, he don't belong in there and he he should never have been charged in the first place to end up there. So, um, you know, the appeal, we're hoping on an answer soon. Personally, I don't think we'll hear anything until between February and June. I've got nothing to back that. That's just my gut feeling of when we'll hear something. Um, The possibilities from that is we could get a reverse and render, meaning we're done. They fully acquit him and his nightmare is over. And we'll deal with the civil lawsuit that we have. Um, They could reverse and remand him back to trial and we'll get a new trial. And we're already game game planning for that. Um, they could affirm the conviction and send it to the state Supreme court. While that's an option, I don't think it's, I think that's a last place, uh, thing that could happen because why would you go through oral arguments after all the cases that you have to hear, you give us oral arguments and then you give them publicly, you know, that's not a guarantee. Um, why would you jump through all these hoops and then just affirm the affirm the conviction and say, uh, "No, we'll let the state supreme court look at it." So, is that an option? Yes. Do I think it's likely? No. Uh, the most the most likely scenario is he'll get uh, he'll get another trial. Um, at that point, he would be able to come home, and uh, we'll continue to prepare for for that new trial but it is possible that he could just get a full acquittal and come home and we'd be done with this. So obviously that's what I'm praying for. Um, but again, my mindset is the reality of we're 16 months in to a minimum 22 year sentence. He's up for parole, um, after 22 years, but he can't come home until the 25 year sentence is served or he gets, um, the appeal to go through, which I think it will, you know, like I said, case law backs him, our training backs him. Um, But it's up to the judges and then it's up to the attorney general as to whether he's going to, you know, if they try, if they say, uh, if they remand the case or they render him, it's up to the attorney general not to appeal it. The attorney general is supposed to be pro law enforcement, but he has yet to speak on Ben's case. Um, I had the opportunity to talk with him two weeks after Ben was sentenced. Um, briefly, I just introduced, I was at a a police event. He was the keynote speaker and, uh, I went up to him afterwards and I said, Hey, Mr. Attorney General, this is who I am. This is who my husband is. You just said that you support police. So why don't you do something about it? And we have these business cards and I gave him one, um, about promoting our website. And he looked at me and he looked at the card and then he looked back at me and he said, you're a police officer too. And I said, yes, sir, I am. So not only does this affect me personally, because now my husband's not home with me living our life together, this, this affects me professionally because I could go to work tonight and get into a similar situation and end up going to prison for doing my job. Yep. And he nodded his head and he said, well, I appreciate the introduction. Ethically, he can't talk to me about the case. I get that. You know, Mm -hmm. but I wasn't going to let that, I wasn't going to let that FaceTime with him go by the wayside. Yeah,
0: you can't waste an opportunity.
1: Exactly, exactly. Well, so
0: I appreciate you coming to talk to and telling a story. Uh, I imagine, well, I can't even imagine how hard it's just been on you, plus him being where he's at in prison. But you know, with all you know, the time that has went by and stuff so far, uh, I'm gonna put up. I'm gonna make sure I put. Don't hang up when we finish, and I'm gonna make sure I got everything right, so I can put up links to all your stuff, where people can donate to uh, the legal fund and stuff. And uh, absolutely, I don't know if I'm not a I'm not ginormous podcast. I do have a following. What I'm going to do is I'm going to make a, a free Ben Darby T-shirt, too, and put it on with the rest of my stuff. And whatever ones of those sell, we'll send all that money to the legal defense, too.
1: Awesome. And Thank a, you. We-
0: put it on my website and all that stuff like that.
1: Awesome. Thank you. I, I'm planning on doing um, – we've done T-shirts in the past, and I've had people ask me to do some more. So I was planning on doing some um, at the end of January as well
0: so but i'm gonna put them up i'll put them up on at awesome. store don't hang up yet everybody uh like i said check the links go to standwithdarby.com and uh support this support him and his wife for being uh falsely put in prison and everything else and uh you all know, come back for the next episode uh remember stay safe out there and always be the lion <laughs>